Welcome, guys, to New Life Poetry Live from Addiction to Attraction Podcast. And um, today's episode is Addiction to Recovery. I have my guest on here, Cassie. How you doing, Cassie? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing awesome. So, audience today, um, Cassie will just be sharing her story and how you um, recover and some of the obstacles that she's been through to be able to help you and give you the tools to be able to know that this isn't the end for you. It's just the beginning. So, Cassie, just um, let people know where you're from and your story and where you started from and where you are at. Um, let people know where you are uh, coming from, uh, where you live at. Um, I know you, are you in Texas? I'm actually in Little Rock, Arkansas now. Okay, cool. Oh, so, yeah. That's awesome. So, um, how old are you, Cassie? I'm 32. You're young. <laughs> so, um, just, just speak from the heart. Okay. Um, All right. Bear with the audience who you are and what you're about and and some of the obstacles and uh, uh, traumatic experiences that you've been through. Okay. That is actually uh, really a blessing. Yes. Um, I like to say that you don't get a testimony without a test. And so this has been my test and my testimony now where I'm at. Um, So it's kind of started for me when I was about eight, seven and eight. Um, I was molested by a family member and I didn't speak about it until I was 23. Um, I kept it to myself. I was very ashamed. I didn't know really how to talk about it. I come from a really strict Southern Baptist family, which the rest of them are great. Um, But I didn't know how to talk about it. It wasn't something that was talked about. It wasn't something that we ever even understood really as kids that that could happen um so it kind of started my traumatic started there um my parents were really young when they had me and so we kind of grew up together (laughs) and so um you know they were did the best they could at those ages so um I kind of I went through I was pretty okay kid I had a smart mouth but okay kid all through childhood High school is kind of where I started to start spinning out. Um, I was 16 and for the first time tried weed at that point. And I didn't really like the way it made me feel. And so my friends were like, okay, so I left it alone for a while. And then I left all of them alone and just started drinking a lot. So for me, it, it started with the, you know, drinking all the time to make me not feel the pain of what I'd gone through because I still didn't know how to talk about it at that point. So Cassie, would you say this to be true? Would you say this is true that um, human beings run towards pleasure and we run from pain? Yes, absolutely. I wanted to feel good and not feel bad anymore is why I started drinking all the time. And then I went, I got into an abusive relationship um, at we've been high school sweethearts and then after high school it just got really abusive and so I left that and I was drinking more because I didn't want to feel everything and I think that's where my addiction stemmed from is because I didn't want to feel anything and so I got married and I tried mess when I was 19 with some friends I didn't understand what it was I mean that sounds really naive but they were all upstairs at a friend's apartment and they said, you should come smoke with us. And I thought they were smoking weed. So I was like, okay, so I went upstairs and that's not what it was at all. And, um, and I did it the first time then and had a panic attack, but then I was up for so long that I, I mean, I was working two jobs at age of 19 supporting myself. And so it was back and forth. And so I, I called one of my best friends and told her what was going on. She's like, just moved to Oklahoma let's get you know and get away from it so I moved to Oklahoma with her from Texas okay and go ahead sorry I know I said go ahead I didn't ask that okay <laughs> so I moved to Oklahoma to Texas or from Texas to Oklahoma with her okay and left everything alone um then I met my husband in college and 
I went nine years before I picked anything up again. And little did I know he was suffering with addiction the entire time of our marriage at that point. And I had no idea. Um, Our lives were so parallel that I was just focused on being a mom and not, I didn't focus, like really give him the attention I should have on my part. But again, I was just really focused. We had three kids and, you know, and I was just trying to focus on them. And so we moved to Texas. We moved back to Texas from Arkansas. And um, we, I was like, we decided we were going to do it together one weekend. And from that point, I just started spinning out. I was arguing with my family a lot at that point. I just didn't want to deal with it. And so I ran to addiction or, you know, to drugs instead of handling things face on and um it got to be it was first it was just every other weekend it was on then it became every weekend when the kids would go stay at family's house for the weekend because they did that a lot because we worked on the weekends and then it got to the point where I needed it I felt like I needed it every day and so um we had moved we lost everything I had a successful cleaning company and we lost it um and in March of 2019, my mom stepped in and said the kids need to go live with my aunt and uncle because we were living hotel to hotel with our three kids. It was not a good environment. It was very traumatic for them and for us. I mean, we weren't even, I went from being PTA president at my kids' school and super involved and coaching baseball teams and softball teams and cheer mom and all that stuff to literally not doing anything to benefit my children um, because the drugs were set in and that's what I was focused on and it took everything so we were evicted our kids moved in with my aunt and uncle who were amazing support system they tried they didn't no one knew that that's what was going on my family had no idea because they never dealt with addiction Um, I'm first addict my family so no one knew what was going on they were just like why can't you get it together like we don't understand and so I they're not in your shoes. They don't know right. about bills. They don't know about uh, drug addiction and the dope no. fix that in your brain. Once you get yes. a dopamine fix that's higher than the dopamine fix in your brain, it wants more of it. And it exactly. becomes a chemical that let loose. A in huge your chemical imbalance. People don't know that. that right. But we can reproduce dopamines by exercising and doing other things yes and that's what they just didn't understand it and so my mom and my grandparents were sitting they called me over to talk about everything yes and um in my heart in my stomach I wanted to just scream I need help I need something but I couldn't it was like I just couldn't get to that point um I was too embarrassed I was too ashamed of what I was doing and that's why I kind of cut myself off from my family and I did that on my own, cutting myself off. Like they didn't, they tried to help as much as they could. And I just was not rece- receiving their help. Like I wouldn't allow it because I just wanted to be selfish and do what I want to do because as addicts, we are selfish in our addiction. Right. And we that's all we think about. Right. You that's know, think about. And yeah. We, and was trying to control us or something. But it's, exactly. It's, it's just fear, though, false evidence appearing real exactly and the so I'm gonna that was in April that they were trying to talk to me we had Easter and everything and I had never never at that point experienced a holiday without my kids okay and so in May or in early June first week of two days of June uh, we had my son's birthday party at my aunt's house I mean his actual birthday was later in the month but we were doing a group family birthday party for June birthdays and we have a big birthday party and I left there um, and I went and I got high and I decided to pick up some stuff and I was going to take it to a friend and I picked up a couple other friends and I got pulled over. And before the, the I have to say, and I'm going to give credit where credit's due, uh, Fort Worth Police Department were the biggest blessing in my life at that point. Yeah. They, I mean, they have no idea how they saved me that day but I um the officer asked me to get out of the car and I went to the back and he's trying to talk to me and the other officer walks up with a bag of meth and says 
well, um, you're going to jail. And he let me call my mom. And I called my mom. And that was the first time that my family knew anything was going drug-wise was going on. Um, I called my mom and let her know I was going to jail on possession of methamphetamines and I needed I, I need her to come get my car. And um, I went to jail and the officer on the way, this is really where the recovery seed was planted for me. Yeah. On the way to jail, the officer said, so how long have you been doing this? And I was explaining to him, you know, it's been two years. And he's like, do you come from this? And I lost it. I just started crying. I was like, no, I don't come from this. Like, this isn't me. This isn't who I am like I don't and he said words that have stayed with me this whole time what you're doing is not who you are it's what's going on in the moment this doesn't define you say that again Cassie he said who you are is not what you're doing is the way he said it he said you know what you're doing right now does not define who you are and that just stuck with me for this whole time and um I was in jail for 30 days in Tarrant County, but that officer, now at this point I had never even had a speeding ticket. So to go from never having a speeding ticket straight to jail was a big deal. I mean, shocking to me. And uh, he explained everything that was gonna happen. He explained when we get, went in there to the lady that I'd never been in a situation before, please be kind, you know, and they were, they were extremely kind. Um, and God plucked me from a situation so I could have another chance. Amen. So when I went to jail, I got out of jail 30 days later with a felony on my record. Yes. And I was, I swore right then I was going to stay clean, get clean, be good. You know, I was telling my family, I don't need rehab. I'm good. I'm good. You know, and I went back to the people, places and things. That's my big, when I talk to people about recovery, that's my biggest points. Change your people, places and things. Your environment. like Exactly. Example, let's say I wanted to stop watching TV. I get rid of all the TVs in my house. And yes. I did. I, I, yeah. And I put books close to me. And I wake up, I pick up a book. You know, if you want to get exactly. rid of things, you gotta get the things that hinder you, you got to get rid of those things out of your environment. Because let's yeah. say um, you put a rotten apple with five good apples. Eventually, those other apples turn rotten. It's because of the thing because of that thing because of the thing because of the rotten yeah and so I changed my people I uh, well before I was able to do that I went right back into the same thing okay so from July to October or well to September my kids lived with my aunt and uncle right down the road from me they were easily I could go there anytime I wanted to to see my kids you know and spend time with as much time as I wanted with them um in September their dad had already been arrested and put in jail and I was by myself homeless was living out my car I was you know it was my lowest point at that point so I thought at that point yeah. um so my kids my mom came down and my kids went to live with my mom in Arkansas my mom my stepdad right. and that hit that hit me really hard like they were no longer going to be easily accessible and be right there where I could see my kids and so I went on a four-day binge and I decided to I had to go to work the, that day and I get in the car to go to work and I was driving to get on the freeway and I fell asleep at the wheel wow. and I I slammed into a still reinforced truck and I broke three ribs on one side and two on the other I got a concussion and tore all the tendons and ligaments in my leg and ankle um and it was crazy because the people that I called friends were nowhere to be found wow but my dad came to the hospital and uh my dad and I had gotten into arguments back and forth because of my addiction and he kind of knew what was up I mean my dad has been my best friend forever so when I stopped talking to him he kind of knew something was going on and so and he knew that I mean he'd already known I was on drugs after I went to jail and so he showed up at the hospital and took me back to his house and you would think that would have got me to stop but I went right back out for another week and then I called my dad from the dope man's house and I was like please come get me I can't live like this anymore I can't do it I need help wow. and good. as soon as I said those words it was like this 
rush of just peace that God, hit me. God, just that uh, tingling in your body and you yeah. just, just drifting into peace. And my dad, I had been in contact with my dad and asked him for rides before and he was like, no, I'm not going to come get you. I'm not doing that. I'm not taking you here and there and everywhere to run around and do what you want to do. And the moment I called him and told him that, my dad was there within 10 minutes helping me load my load my backpack and my bag of stuff that I had left in his truck. And the next morning at 4 a.m., we went to Nexus Recovery in Dallas. And it was a, you could only go, you had to like get there at 4 a.m. and then wait. It was a process, you know, and see if you were, you were eligible to go. And they asked me back there, and it's this, I have to give some praise to Nexus because they are a women's and women and children's facility. So if women are going through addiction and need help, they will take in the children as well. And so you live in these dorms that you can live with your kids and they make sure everyone has what you need. I mean, it's phenomenal. So what's the place called? Nexus Recovery. That's spell that for me? It's N-E-X-U-S. N-E-X-U-S? Yes, sir. Recovery. Mm -hmm. And it's in Dallas and their motto is change her life, change the world. Change her life, change the world? Yes. So I went there, it was a it was a Friday and they do what they call a pep rally on Fridays. Um, they also have, they have single women that are there too. Um, so before I get into that, so I get there that morning and my dad is sitting there with me and we have this talk on the way to the rehab, you know, about me getting help and stuff. And they asked me to go back, take a drug test. Now in my head, this is an addict thinking the time I knew I was going to fail for methamphetamine. I did not know it was going to come back with LSD in, in my system, yes. with uh, narcotic, or I think she said fentanyl was one of the things that was in there. There was What I was doing was not what I thought it was, if that makes sense. Yes, that makes sense. And so... Uh, Sometimes we, my, don't, we don't know what we don't. And that's no, it. exactly. And so I'm telling my dad, I'm like, I can't believe this. I'm like enraged like at this point. Like, I can't believe that, you know, he told me it was pure blow. And I'm going on about my drug dealer. And my dad goes, well, if you can't trust your drug dealer, who can you trust? Really sarcastic. And I kind of looked at him and I was like, he goes, you sound ridiculous right now. And it clicked. Like, I sound ridiculous because it is ridiculous to think that you can trust the people that are so-called friends at the time in your addiction to not give you something that you think does that make sense I feel like I'm trying to explain it it's not coming out right it does make sense yeah I mean these are people that I thought I could trust that's and then pure lying to you right exactly and um and so we're sitting there and the lady came out and called my name and I go back and she's interviewing me and she said I hate to tell you this but we don't have any room in the single women's dorm I said, okay. And she said, so what we can do is you can wait for the rest of the afternoon. You're welcome to sit here and wait with your dad. Or if he wants to leave, we'll get you a bus back, back, bus pass back. But that's where we're at right now. So I walk out and I have tears streaming down my face because I knew if I didn't get in that day, I was not going to make it through the rest of the month. What I was doing was so harmful to myself that I knew like I could be the next person that has an overdose. So I, uh, I sat out there and she came out and she called me back again. She said, okay, since your kids were not taken by DHS or CPS, um, she said, you're eligible to be in the women and children's dorm. Would you be willing to do that? And without hesitation, I said, yes, just whatever we need to do. Yes, ma'am. Without, the key word, without hesitation. Yes, no hesitation. When we hesitate, we do the things uh, that's not good for us. It's those things that we do. We gotta make uh, be decisive. We gotta make a decision. I right. In our choices and decisions and our daily habits that determine mm-hmm. our future. Yes. And I went. So she came out. She told me to go sit back with my dad, and they were going to talk about it. And they'll be back out in a minute. And she came out and told me, "All right, we. I need you to bring your bag so we can go through everything." 
From the time she told me go outside with your dad, I explained to him what was possible, and we both just started praying. Yes, praying. And, yes. and my dad, sorry, I get really choked up when I talk about this part. Go ahead. Talk my about dad it. is, my dad is my best friend, and he's always been my biggest supporter. Yes, but mom, he, uh, that's too. Yeah, I know. it's amazing how we, they can support us. You know, from a have to support us from afar, and so we can let them back in. And my dad, um, I looked over my dad, and the lady came out and said, all right, you're in. And my dad just hit his knees. And he was crying, and I was crying. And, you know, I telling him, I'm like, I'm scared. Like, I don't know how to do this. Like, I'm scared. And he was like, there's no going back now. He was like, you're good. He's like, they're going to take care of you. They're going to, And he was very reassuring to me that this is the best decision for you. And so my main reason for wanting to go get help because I wanted to be back in my kids' lives. I wanted to be the mom they deserved to have. So it was your why that had you to... Yes. It's your why that holds that solid foundation. Your why is the one that keeps you going. Yes. Well, so they took me back and we they tell me, okay, we have pep rallies on Fridays. And I was like, I don't want to go sit in a pep. And I already had a mentality of, well, that's not going to work. Or, you know, this isn't going to be for me or this isn't going to do it. But then in my, I went back to my room. They said, you don't have to go to classes the rest of the day because you just got here. Why don't you get, you know, unpacked and get settled in your dorm room or in your room? And I said, okay. So in there with the roommate who is phenomenal, sweetest girl I've ever met. And in my head, I, and I, a lot of addicts feel this way. We always feel like we're different from the next addict. Yeah. Oh, I didn't do that drug. So I'm different than you. Right. But in all reality, we're all suffering people who just need help. Yep, alcoholics, anyone. Exactly. If it's anything that controls you other than God, then it's something bad. Absolutely. So she tells me about these pep rallies, and she's like, it's like a high school pep rally. Like, you go in there, and I don't know if how many of our listeners are, know what that is, but from the South, being from the South, a pep rally is where you get riled up for the football game. You know, they bring everybody in there and kind of make a unified front. So we go to this pep rally and they're on the stage and they're doing this chant of change her life, change the world over and over. And something just hit me that this is where this is going to change my life. Amen. I can help change the world because I've always from dealing with, you know, my husband, that went through addiction and is a wonderful man when he's clean and sober. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better person when he's like that. Seeing him go through the stages of addiction without being an addict at that point. I can't say that. I was an addict. I just didn't understand what it was at that point. Right. And, you know, seeing him go through it, I always wanted to help be in the community of helping people with addiction problems, helping people with that because my stepson... His mom got sent to prison for a long time for that. And I saw how it affected my son um, and raising him from the time he was three and is now 16. And so, I mean, it was just, it was always part of my heart. So they're saying this and it just hits me. And so then we go to these, you have to go to therapy sessions and group sessions and these classes and they send you to parenting classes. I mean, Nexus really goes all out when you're there and it's, completely free it's a non-profit they help so many people and they don't stop when you leave there's an is or a outpatient program that you can go to okay i mean they they really do and they have recovery coaches that call and check on you after you leave and make sure that you're still doing good and is there anything we can do to help you in your recovery so i stayed at nexus for three months and at three months, they were telling me, we want you to come back at 18 months and be a tech. We want you to come back and be a tech because I'd had little sisters come through. And when you've been there a little while, you start getting the newcomers or your little sisters and you help them and you help with their kids and you help them get the things they need because it really does take a village to raise kids and help them through a parent going through addiction. Right. We all have and so on the same accord. Exactly. And so we did. I did that and. I had a little sister who came in and she's, you know, detox is one of the worst things you have to go through. 
And when you go through it, it's really hard not to feel completely alone, even though you're surrounded by people who love you and want to help you. Yep. And she kept, she kept looking at me and going, it's hot in here. I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to be here anymore. And I know this is going to sound harsh, (laughs) but I looked at her and I was like, recovery is not comfortable. You have to get uncomfortable to get clean. Say that again, Cassie. Please tell the audience. Say that again. Recovery is not comfortable. You have to get uncomfortable to get clean. If you're comfortable, then you're not getting clean. Absolutely. And so she ended up staying with her kids, which was the best option. I mean, these kids have been through a lot that come in there, and they've seen a lot that kids their age shouldn't have to see at that point because of the decisions that the adults are making around them and my kids were included in this right my kids didn't go with me to rehab but my kid i realized that from being in there and the first week I, one of the first weeks i was there i said something in group about my mom wouldn't let me talk to the kids at nighttime because it upset them before they went to bed i was like it's not fair i just want to talk to my kids and one of my really good friends who i'm still friends with now looked at me and said it's not about you it's about them they're recovering yeah. from the problems you caused them yeah. don't be selfish yeah and i was like it clicked and i was like my kids are recovering from me as i'm recovering from addiction and so i started calling my kid i would call my kids in the afternoons when i got out of school and talk to my kids because you get it the longer you're there you get more passes to make phone calls okay and so i made sure i called them every chance i got and talked to my kids I went through extensive EMDR therapy um, with some phenomenal therapists who helped me work through my trauma. Can you tell me what that's about, um, like the procedure and um, yeah. how that consists of? Yeah, EMDR therapy, um, the way I did it, there's a lot, of, it's different plans for different people. But for me, it was a lot of meditating and closing my eyes and envisioning the trauma I had been through with these vibrating, um, our, I think she called them wands but she has a controller that turns up the vibration and down the vibration depending on your anxiety when you're talking about the trauma you would experience in your life and as she does that she talks she talks you down from it so you can feel it without feeling like you're in the moment yes you can talk about it without feeling that you're there because that's what I dealt with a lot and I took that into my marriage um, and this kind of gets personal you know, for me, but because I'm being molested, to me, sex was not an emotional thing. Yep. That was taken from me when I was molested. Yeah, I was molested too when I was five. Yeah, I heard that on your on your podcast. I did. I listened to a lot of your stuff. It really inspired me a lot. Um, but <laughs> it did. I mean, from that point, sex was not an emotional connection. It was just something. I did. I did. Yep. And so it did. Autopilot. It, exactly. The word is, it's like you're on autopilot. It's not emotional. It's just, it's just natural. It feels like it's it just happened. Yeah. It just feels like it felt like a chore. Yeah. That's what it felt like for me. And my, when I first had sex with my husband, it was the first time I didn't feel like that it was an emotional connection right. and it was because he made me feel safe in our relationship and he made me feel safe in our our personal connection we had with each other and so we talked about that a lot in therapy that it was just something I did like it wasn't an emotion it was really hard for me to feel emotionally connected and so she was you know a lot of people when they're molested when you finally talk about it you talk about it as something that okay it happened I'm over it let's just move forward but really until you work through the process of therapy and things with it or you process it completely yourself it's not something you've dealt with because you haven't done that you haven't gotten over it until you've worked through it and you can know how it's not going to bother you in the future and so EMDR therapy is what she did with me and it just helps so much and I went and saw a lot of, I had three different therapists while I was there because they wanted to make sure that when I left there, because when you're in addiction, your brain, it doesn't think like it's supposed to because of chemical imbalance. And so we go into a freeze, fight, or flight. Yep. 
thought process. Yep. And it, the way they explained it is it goes from an oval to a triangle when you're on addiction. Okay. And so we've got to get that back into an oval. And so that's what we did. And when I say Nexus pulled out all the stops, I mean, they did. We went to church. You could go to church on Sundays and you had to go to a certain amount of NA meetings. And my first NA meeting, one of the old timers said, if you're new today, we welcome you. We're happy you're here, but shut up and listen because you're about to feel some really good stuff. Here's some really good stuff. And he wasn't lying. I mean, they did not hold back. It was hearing other addicts' stories made me realize we're all suffering from addiction. I'm not better than them. I'm not worse than them. We're all equal. It equaled out the playing field for me. And that was always a problem I had in life. I mean, I have a little sister who is extremely book smart and I have more street smarts. So, you know, I was always trying, not that my parents tried to make us feel that way, but I always felt like I was trying to compete with her to do better. And so for once in my life, the level field, the playing field felt completely level in this, when I got to N.A., and I met, did the not, they recommend 90 meetings in 90 days. And I made 180 because I decided that if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. Wow. And so that's what I did. I got out of rehab and I called my mother-in-law and told her I wanted to come to Oklahoma. My dad picked, came to my, they call it a transition. You get like a certificate for completing and you, you know, they give you words of wisdom and everyone comes around you and prays on pep rally days. So on that Friday, my dad came to the pep rally. I was asked to speak at the pep rally about my testimony. And I couldn't even look at my dad in the audience because I knew if I did, I would lose it and I wouldn't be able to finish what I was trying to say. So I finally look up and my dad just has tears rolling down his face. When he met me at the back, he just hugged me and he was like, I've never been as proud of you as I am right now. He was like, this is amazing. So I went to Oklahoma, I got a job, I kept going to my meetings, I kept up with therapy. My husband and I, he got out of jail and we, we've separated since then and I moved back to Arkansas with my kids. Um, they're not completely living with me yet, but I'm in their everyday life for the, like the mom that I wanted to be from the beginning. Wow, from the beginning. Um, when I got my one year clean last October, my dad was at, my, my and my dad, I mean, He's never dealt with addiction himself. And I asked him, I said, hey, I'd really like for you to come when I get my one-year key tag and get my coin. Can you be there? And my dad and my stepmom showed up, and they sat through the whole thing. And for the first time in a long time, I felt like I can. relapse doesn't have to be a part of your story. And for me, that's where I'm at. I feel like it doesn't have to be a part of every addict story you can you get to make that decision but if you do relapse there's no shame in getting back out of it and staying and getting back quick because I don't want to I don't want it to sound like I'm putting down people who do that it's just for me personally has not been a thought that that's what I want to do with my life if that makes sense I guess Yep, it makes sense. It's just you don't want that to be part of you. Like, um, yeah, I, I relaxed. I I could be aware of it. I allowed it, and now I'm going to release it because it's yeah. the release that gives you peace. Yes, it is absolutely. And you know, um, I travel for work right now, and I had to go to Washington State and then to Iowa. And I was in an I, I was in Iowa, in this little bitty town right outside of Minnesota, in Iowa. And I was with my supervisor, and I told him, I said, I know we rode, we rode together on this long trip because it was 34 hours from our hometown. So I told him, you know, I, uh, I really, really would like to go to a meeting tonight. It's my 18 months clean, and I really would like to go to be able to get my thing. And he said, not a problem. So we found a meeting. And it was a small meeting, only five people in there. But it could have been 5,000. It would have made a difference to me at that point, from between five and 5,000. Right. And I picked up my 18 months. And this is the first time I cried when I got a key tag because... I'm so happy for you. That 18-month key tag, that small piece of plastic key tag, represents all the struggles that I went through to get to where I'm at. 
and I took a picture with my key tag and posted it on my Facebook page and on my TikTok and Instagram and you know about my recovery because if someone can see that an addict like me got out of it and it's on the other side of this and has been for 18 months then maybe I can help the next person well the next phone call I got was from my son sorry I get really emotional talking about my kids during this recovery part but my son is 10 go ahead he called me and said mom I'm so proud of you you're just doing so good you're staying clean he's like mom I'm just wanting you to know I love you so much I'm so proud of you and when I tell you the tears just start flowing I mean and then my daughter gets on the phone she's seven and she's like I'm so proud of you I'm so proud of you I love you you're so amazing you're so strong she's like I want to be like you without the addiction part and I was like I agree but one one thing my son he's gone to a couple meetings with me in my hometown in my home group and when we go around and introduce yourselves, he always says, my name's Kason and I'm a supporter. And he did that on his own. No one told him what to say. And then he comes in and you know, I'm like, I'm Cassie and I'm an addict. And he sits next to me and goes, I'm Kason and I'm a supporter. And I mean, my daughter makes, says things like, because I lost 134 pounds when I was on meth. And I've gained a lot of it back. And my daughter says, mom, I like you fat. I was like thank you I was like you know and I was like thank you and she's like it just means that you're healthy and you're clean and she was like skinny mom was not fun and I was like no skinny mom was not fun I was like I'm down with this I'm okay with being a little heavier as long as I'm clean I'm sober my kids can notice that and see that in me and that's I mean between Nexus and NA that's the way I did my recovery and I still continue to work my steps and work my program because it does work if you work it. Say that again. The program works if you work it. Absolutely. So anybody listening to this. Absolutely. If you want to work, you have to work it first. Yes. And that's what, you know, when I have people, I'm not at the spot in my recovery for me personally to want to be able to sponsor people because I want to work the steps a couple times. Yes. But I tell them I'll be your recovery sister and I'll help you through it. You know, and I'll help you get where you need to eat. But the main thing is get a sponsor, call your sponsor, you know, read your literature, read the stuff. I mean, accountability is the, very important. Yeah. Accountability partners. We're didn't, we didn't not, we came into this world alone. But when we came into this world, there were some people already waiting for it. Exactly. And, you know, I tell a lot of people in recovery, you don't have to be alone. When you start isolating and being alone, that's when you're more likely to have a relapse. Yep. Because I didn't, the I didn't. Hit you by yourself. Right. When I would be alone and start thinking a lot, I'd be like, "Oh, I need to go get high so I can be with people and be around people," because I did it with so like social, you know. And so for me, I like I surround myself with people who aren't are not in active addiction. I have a really good friend I've been friends with since third grade who's an active addiction. And um, we have an understanding that I have to love you from afar until you decide to get clean. Absolutely. And it's okay to love them from afar, you know, and let them know that you're there for them. But it doesn't mean that they have, they get to drag you back into it. You have to set your boundaries. My pop, say set your boundaries is key. My pastor said that the other day. He said, not everyone um, it's put here for us to guide them. It's only put here for us to share a word of God with them. But some of yeah. them are not here to be attached to us. Yeah. We'll get pulled into what they're into. And God put yeah. us to help to serve and yeah. change people's lives. And I have a, I'll just share this to my little brother. He's my stepbrother, but he's my brother. I don't I don't consider my family step or whatever. We're family. Um, he went to rehab, got clean, and went back to the same place where he was living before as wow. my parents. And when he did that, he got sucked right back into those same friends that were calling him all the time and doing this. And he got pulled back in and relapsed. Yeah. And um, what I told him is, I can plant the seed 
but I can't water your plant for you. You have to do the steps to do that for yourself. You know, God, God, we all got a seed plant. I'm well, not all. Let me rephrase that. A lot of us were planted with the seed of salvation and God's love and understanding and grace at a young age. I know I was. I was ready. Anytime the doors were open, our family was there. If the pastor was there just reading, we're going to be there to paint something. I mean, we were there all the time. And that was planted. And I, you know, I did that for my kids. My kids, you know, are in church all the time. And I make sure we go to church when they're with me on Sundays. We go to church or we do virtual church since the pandemic has happened. And uh, because planting that seed in anything, if you plant the seed of recovery somewhere, all you can do is plant it and let God water it and let it and the people have to want it to you have to let that in because you know God's a big part of my recovery um I used to get very emotional when I would go to church and I went to church even when I was getting high like I would go in those doors and sit in the very back with my husband at the time and I would cry the entire service because I knew what I was doing was wrong and not right Right. with who, how I was raised and so it, emotionally it it felt I could feel it the last service I went to was the pastor spoke on the parable of the lost son I don't know how many, if anybody's familiar with that but what it talks about is there was two brothers an older and a younger and the younger brother wanted all his inheritance right then and wanted to go out and leave the home he left he squandered all the way uh, says he party or he through big parties and drank till he was drunk and spent it on what they, in the Bible it says prostitutes and things like that and when all the money was spent the other brother had stayed there and helped his dad work the farm work the land and the brother came back and the father threw a feast for him and said you know even if one sheep wanders away go after that one sheep and leave the 99 because it's better that we save that person to come back bring them back to where it started and so I heard that parable and all I thought about was putting myself in that situation I was the lost sheep and the lost child who had ran out so far away from my family and all I wanted was to get back to them and when you get back to what your your roots and get back to like for me my roots were where it started for me and you know going back to my family and being back in contact i talk to my dad every day or every other day depending on our work schedules uh in recovery i was blessed my grandmother had to have really invasive surgery um in october right on my one year clean date and i went to visit and i called my mom and i said hey i wasn't working at the time and i said i'm gonna stay here because they need me and because I was in recovery, I was able to stay and take care of my grandparent and my get my grandmother through, through two more very invasive surgeries with an ileostomy and colostomy bags and things like that. And no one else in my family at the time could do that because of their jobs and how everything was going. But one thing I was used to say in NA when I was taking care of them, I was like, my grandpa was able to give me $20 and say, hey, I need you to go pick up these prescriptions. And I didn't go get high. I went and picked up the prescriptions. I came back to the house. I made sure everybody was good and I stayed there. And I made a meeting every night I was there because it was right down, I made sure I found a meeting right down the road because we can't, and I'm gonna say this, this is just how I feel about all this part. Um, You cannot fill someone's cup from an empty pitcher. I could not continue to help them if I was depleted. And what, kept me going was my meetings and talking to people and you know sharing at the meetings you know a lot of new addicts go in there and just sit down and be quiet share talk about your pain those people are there to love you till you can love yourself yeah that's honestly and that's one thing they said when I got there you know we're gonna love you till you can love yourself Um, and I had strangers hugging me I love you we love you and I'm like how can you love me you don't even know me yeah that's how we are yeah, gotta love someone so they can love themselves. You know, I was really blessed at a great church who our pastor says in his opening announcements, he says, we're just Christians trying to do the right thing. Or he said, we're a bunch of messed up people trying to follow God, be the best Christians we can be, and loving one another through each struggle. Yeah. And that's when, you know, 
I'm very grateful to have the church family that I have and have my amazing support that I have as my family, my mom, my my dad. Build that support team, y'all. This is where it's at, is that support system after the, when you first get clean. Because if you got that support system, it's going to change your life. Absolutely. It's true. Accountability and have a support system and having God so close to your life. Yes. Spend a time with Him every day before you start your day. Absolutely. You could tell any any of the audience something that's gonna like really wake them up and touch their heart, and something that uh, you would love to share. Three things that um, touches your heart that could touch other people's heart and that could change their life forever. What would you tell them? Three things. When you get clean, it's not the end of your life. It's just the end of your struggle. A lot of people feel like it. it's going to change who they are as a person. It does, but it does it for the better. And it ends the struggle and the pain. You don't have to be in pain. There are people out here like he and I who love you and we want to support you and do the best we can to help you reach out to people. You know, make sure that you have an accountability partner that you can call if it's not a sponsor because some people don't work the program and that's perfectly fine you just have to make sure you have your accountability partners you have people you can call when you have urges um there's going to be a pink cloud that you're on ride it to don't want to ride no more and when things start going bad feel it live life on life's terms it's okay to go through it and feel it and feel upset and be upset but get up every morning put one foot in front of the other Ask God for guidance and wisdom and just know that you're not alone. There's other people who are fighting the same battle and we will fight together. Amen. So Cassie, I want to keep in touch with you. So um, absolutely. let people know where they can keep in touch with you at too when they hear this podcast. Maybe, you know, one day. Okay. I have Facebook and Instagram, uh, TikTok. I do a lot of recovery stuff on TikTok just because it has such a large base. Yes. You can find me. It's Mama23D is my name on there. Um, And on Facebook, it's Cassie Roper hyphen Williams. You can find me on there. Um, On Instagram, it's Two boys and a princess on there for my kids. A lot of my names on my on my social media are all about my kids. Um, my all three of my kids' middle names start with D, so that's where the Mama Twenty Three D came from. I'm on Snapchat. Uh, I do recovery stuff on there too. I try to post every other day on my Facebook. I have a Prayer Warriors page, and uh, you can get on there. I do lives. I try to do those a couple times a week where I do a live devotion and prayers um and play we play music um it's an open topic i mean i read the devotion and do our bible study but then it's open for prayers or if anything anybody wants to talk about stuff you want to reach out you need help in recovery we'll find you a meeting find you you know a rehab there's a lot of people on my social media who are very into the in the recovery team um is what we call them and on snap on tiktok if anybody gets on there um look for the hashtag recovery queen team and all of those women have been in recovery for a while and are willing to help any way they can and get you in halfway houses or recovery if that's where you're at whatever step you're ready we have the ability to talk to people in that area of expertise and get you where you need to go um and if you're in the Dallas area and you're looking for help or even you don't even have to be in the Dallas area. If you're in the state of Texas or anywhere that you want to get help uh, for women, I know you can go to Nexus or call them right now. They're, because of COVID, they can't have people coming in and out, but they'll do an over the phone interview. And it's an amazing process to get through there and do that in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The How Foundation is amazing for men. It's a men program, men's program only. Um, I know in Arkansas we have John 316 they're an amazing program recovery program Uh, find a meeting I have meeting times and stuff on a lot of my social media 
So if anybody wants to get on there, so, but yeah, just I'll and I'm gonna if you don't mind, I'm gonna post this podcast on my TikTok or you know the stuff for my TikTok stuff and okay, that's cool. people can reach out to you as well. Absolutely, because uh, I would really like to hear their stories because it can help other people. Because it's not about us. No, one thing that I have a good friend in recovery who it's funny he was friends with my dad for years and then when I got in recovery I met him and I was telling my dad about a speaker jam that I went to and you know he I said there's a guy from your hometown and I, I said I can't tell you his name because the anonymity anonymity I was like you know and he before I could say anything he goes I know who it is and he told me the guy's name I said he said something that kind of stuck with me the first year of recovery is for you after that it's for the suffering addicts who still need our help yep yep the first year's for you, dude. Yeah. You know. But after that, make sure you're spreading the word. Make sure you're helping the next suffering addict. Make sure you're, you know, I say a prayer for suffering addicts every day. Just, you know, it's important. It's important that we help each other. Right now with the pandemic, the, the relapse rate and the addiction rate is so high right now because of the pandemic and people not being able to go to meetings and not be able to do that, that our overdose level our overdose rates are really high as well and so if we can just save one person with any story it's worth it right and we could start um shoot we could start our own recovery podcast to yeah. online you know yeah and this is the first podcast i've ever been a part of and i appreciate you so much for reaching out and doing what you do i'm back too cassie Oh, absolutely. Anytime. And everything you're doing is phenomenal. I mean, you're really uplifting people with your poetry and the, your kind words and your just your spirit is so infectious with like knowing that it can happen for everyone. I mean, it's not, you know, recovery is not for just a certain amount of people. I mean, it can be for everyone. Yes, it's for everyone. Yes. I would like for you to um, write out your story on paper for I could add it to the book because guys if you don't know I'm come, I'm writing a book and it's called From Addiction to Recovery it's um, okay. the, sub, the subtitle is, is um, Only God Could Solve This Problem yes and y'all you know I hope everyone subscribes to your podcast because I'm it's just amazing what you're doing and the, the work you're doing and the books. I can't wait. I was looking on Amazon for your book yesterday. Just go ahead and get it so we can read. And yeah. I just appreciate all the work you're doing and helping everyone because it's a big, it's a big problem in our country and a yeah. lot of people, a lot of people don't know it. And my sister, she tells people all the time. She was like, I'm very naive and didn't know a lot of the stuff was going on around me that was going on. Yeah. And yeah. so I encourage you, even if you're not an addict get involved in the recovery process for other people yes it's a blessing it really is a blessing to see people come out different you know i posted something yesterday on facebook that said don't let people trigger you into being your old self because it's not worth it like don't let those people trigger you you're gonna always have people who don't want to see you at the top right to trigger you to go back into your old ways and you know, I have to say, me personally, my personal opinion, I love the new me. This one's way better yes. than the one in the streets yeah. acting crazy. Me too. I mean, <laughs> I, I, couldn't, I couldn't imagine going back to that. I mean, and I have friends and, uh, you know, I wouldn't say friends. I have acquaintances that are still in addiction. And they'll message me and say, you know, it's really awesome what you're doing. Have you ever thought about come, hanging out? You know, we should hang out. And I was like, listen, I can't hang out with you. Right. As much as I got love for you, I cannot hang out with you because it's not a part of my story. Like, no. when you get clean, come let's let's go to a meeting together. And I always encourage, like, if some if you're in recovery and one of your old friends reach out, and say, hey, we let's hang out. Invite them to a meeting. Say, okay, let's go to a meeting together, or invite them to a, you know, Bible study. Invite them to a public place where recovery is happening. Because. Maybe you just plant the seed and let God water it and watch it grow. Absolutely, just plant, like just plant the seed. A, a, a seed was planted in me a while ago, and it had to take had to die six months apart. For, and 
Oh, so sorry for your loss. Yeah, that was when I, uh, that was in 2019. I lost my mom from liver failure because she she drank alcohol a lot. And my grandfather died from alcohol too. And my brothers and uh, brother and sister, they drink alcohol. But um, I'm just praying that this podcast reached them, right? Right. Um, a lot of people suffer from all types of addictions because we let these things of the world control who God made us be, made us be. Yeah. and um, we have to allow and surrender to the Lord above and allow him to send us to the places that we need to be in to the people we need to be around in the environment we need to be around and I yeah. really believe that my parents uh, not being here and the things that happened to me were a blessing in disguise because yes. uses the things that the devil try to use to trigger us he yeah. used for his glory and to walk us into our true purpose yeah um, ever since yeah. I died Cassie um, I wrote the book New Life because ever when I started to write that book of poetry talking about storytelling about my life it was about me recovering through my poetry and God gave me that gift to save me. Yeah. It's amazing how there's a, in our mess, there's a message. Yes. In in any mess, there's a message, whether it's recovery, whether it's, you know, just seeing a mess, the message in the mess is hard. But when you get out of that mess and you look back, you think, man, I know why God put me through that. I know why I experienced that. You know, my heart's always been in healthcare, and I'm working on getting my record expunged so I can go back to school and do that because I want to work in a recovery center where I can help people through the mess so they can see the message because that's what's important. It's not about what you're going through at this very moment. It's about the long, long road. And, you know, it's a long road to recovery. It really is. It's not something that can happen overnight. You know, you can make the decision to get clean, but the decision to stay clean is the road that you have to focus on. You can't keep looking in your rearview mirror worrying about all the car accidents and stuff going on behind you because, you know, in my opinion, all the stuff I went through in my past is a huge car accident that I survived. Ooh. Through wow. this accident so that way I could go on and forge forward into a life of where I don't have to worry about who I, what I'm doing or, you know, I I was on a road trip and we got pulled over. I was a passenger in the car and we got pulled over. And for the first time in three years, well, two years, you know, 18 months clean, I didn't worry about a single thing when the officer came to the window. Like, I didn't have to worry about hiding anything or doing anything. And when we left, the person I was with never dealt with addiction or anything like that. And I was like, I know you won't understand this, but that was the best feeling in the world not to have to worry about if the officer was going to see something, they knew I was doing something, you know, not hiding from who we are because who we are is where you're at, right. You know, as, where you're at in your recovery or where you're at in going forward. Yep. In the past, that's who you were. Let's not worry about who we were, who we were. I, how do you say, I'm saying that wrong. That's okay. Yeah. You're, yeah. I'm trying to think about how to say this correctly. Nope. Cause my mom is a huge person for like uh, grammar, and so I know if she hears this, she's gonna be like, "What were you saying?" <laughs> but no, it's okay. you know, yeah, I mean, that's not who you have to be today. Don't worry about that person. You know, making amends is a big step in recovery, and even if you're not working a program, and don't. And I thought this when I first got a program. I was like, I can't make amends with people I'm screwed over that are still in addiction. That's not what they're talking about. When they talk about making amends, it's with your family. It's with the people that loved you through your addiction. I have I have a group of four girls. They're my best friends. I mean, those ladies have I mean known me since from the time one from the time I was born and the rest from like middle school, high school. And none of them went through addiction, but they all loved me through it. Like they knew I was going through something. They all knew I was dealing with some demons that I wasn't ready to face. And they loved me through it. And your family will do that too. I mean even if you feel like you're completely alone, you're not. 
There's people in recovery that will love you through it. There's people, you know, that's my biggest thing is I don't want anyone to feel alone because you don't have to be. You're right. You don't have to be alone at all. God is always with you. And yeah. I put people here to help you too. Yeah, just reach hey, out. Can I ask you something? Absolutely. Would you be able to be on another podcast? I would love yes. to come back. Absolutely. Yes, I would love that. And I would love to help you uh, write a book too. Because uh, you have a great story to share with people. And I know the process from front to back. And I spent my whole recovery learning that process for I could be able to help other people put their stories out here. Yes, I would love that. I would love that. I would truly love that. When you're ready, I would be loved. Yes. For free. You don't have to pay me. I'll walk you through the whole process. That would be amazing. And you know, I don't know if anybody knows this, but the way that we, you and I met was through Facebook. It was through a recovery page. Yeah. So that way everyone knows. I mean, social media, it's a, it can be a horrible thing sometimes. I mean, with a lot of things that we're seeing in the media now, I mean, it's really heartbreaking. But it is a blessing as well because without it, we wouldn't have been able to do this. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, I'm so grateful for that. You're either going to let social media use your energy or you're going to use social media for a positive energy. You're yes. going to use that to help other people. Yes. And let's help as many people as we can. I mean, I so try to use my social media platform for recovery. Awesome. That's Some, what I'm talking about. And um, just for the mom, and this kind of goes just to the moms and stuff and women going through some stuff. Like, I'm going through a divorce right now and going through the emotional state of letting go of that and raising my kids on my own. And just know that you can do it and stay strong and know that there's people out there that love you and want to help you through it. I'm a strong-willed person where I don't ask for help very much. But when I do, it's usually because I've gotten to a point where I know that I can't do it without it. So be okay asking for help. I have to tell myself that every day. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to not be strong all the time. Because when you're carrying the weight of a world on your shoulders, it's okay to take that backpack off and put it down and let somebody pick it up for you for a little bit and keep trucking just as long as you keep moving. Absolutely. Don't be stuck in what you're in because it's hard to get out of. And, uh, you know, the kid, the father of my kids is an amazing man. He's a great dad. We just couldn't make us work because of our addiction issues that we had. And that's hard to do. I mean, he's been my best friend for 12 years and almost 13 years now. And, you know, I just encourage everyone to know that you can do it and it's okay. It's God's going to pull you through whatever you're going through. You just got to put your hands up and surrender. Trust and when we surrender, yeah, trust the process. Exactly. You know, when we surrender, we don't have to just surrender because to the addiction part. You can surrender in all different areas of your life that you just can't handle anymore. It doesn't have to just be the addiction part that you re- surrender to. You know, a big part for me was surrendering to God back into the church, surrendering my heart to God so that he could open me up for the big things he had planned. Yes, and he got some big things for you, Cassie. He's- yeah. Like I felt it, like right now. <laughs> well, I appreciate it so much. And um, I'm going to uh, walk you through this too. So I'm Thank so you. glad that God um, put us together. And um, if anyone, when you guys are listening to this, please share share this out, share this podcast out. And yes. Anyone that would want to be on a podcast, um, share it with them and let's spread the word and help other people do recovery because it's not just about us it's about changing the world but um we have to be changed to bring change we teach what we know but we reproduce who we are in the words of john maxwell that's right you know you're can a lot of people say you're a product of your raising but really you're a product of who you want to Yes. Don't let what you went through as a kid define you. Define you because if you do, then you won't get to see the blessings on the other side. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. Thank you, Cassie. Well, 
Yeah, no, no problem. Thank you. And I look forward to more podcasts with you. Absolutely. And t- get in touch with me. Let me know when you're free again. And we can set up. So, guys, enjoy your day. Um, thank you guys for turning tuning into New Life Poetry. That live podcast from addiction to attraction. And this episode is addiction to recovery. Just put one feet in front of the other and trust in God, trust the process, and let's move out with passion. Yes. God bless y'all. God bless you, Cassie. Bye.